0: That's trinityschool.org, Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life, transform the world.
1: At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody of the season at prices that feel just as good discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her each in women's petite and plus sizes here spring comes in all shapes sizes and colors JCPenney make everybody count
2: when you buy Kroger brand products you feel like you're winning that's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices
3: Welcome to Money Making Conversation Masterclass. I'm your host, Rashawn McDonald. I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For you, it may be the size of your paycheck. Mine is inspiring people to develop a plan to reach their dreams. It's time to stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. You can only exceed expectations by believing in yourself. People always talk about Purpose of gifts? You read about that all the time, or hear it hyped in social media. If you have a gift, lead with your gifts, and don't let your friends, family, or co-worker stop you from planning or living your dreams. My guest is Kelly Jenrette. She's an Emmy-nominated actress currently starring in the CW hit series All American Homecoming. In 2018, she and her husband became the first African American married couple to be nominated for Emmys in the same year. As we know, her Emmy was on the hit series Handmaid's Tale, which I another one of my great series that I love as well. She's based in Atlanta, so she took time to come on our show to talk about the spinoff and her character. She's the president. We have a president on the show. Please welcome (laughs) to Money Making Conversation Masterclass, Kelly Jenrette. How you doing, Kelly?
4: I'm doing well. How are
3: you? You know, uh, Simone, character, she was on the show when the show premiered. So I got to watch the first season as well as that. So I really am immersed into the series. So so we said, this guy really knows the series. So because so I, you know, I I try to do my prep work, Kelly. I always try to just jump on the show and like add (laughs) me and ask these generic questions. Because when you have a series as as complex, when I say that, complementary character complex as yours how do you how do you slide in and out of this whole process in the script development
4: well uh i think the thing that i focus on is just telling the truth of the character of the story it's just so well written it's easy to kind of slide into it and i feel like the character of Mara is very close to me, Kelly, right. as an individual. And so that makes it easy as well.
3: We know, the, 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 we're set at a fictitious HBCU school. Yes. Um, you know, here's my whole thing. Like I said, I watch Netflix a lot. And the All-American series, all, it trends on Netflix as a TV series. Mm-hmm. And so and so it's, and it's one of the top shows on CW. What is encompassing the popularity of this show? I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but obviously you're starring in the series, so I'm sure people on the street stop you. I'm sure they make comments of why they watch the show. What And your character as well. What is the driving force to the fan viewership?
4: I think because it's something that is relatable. I think that people see themselves, especially black people, they can see themselves on the TV screen and not just see themselves, but see their lives, see the complex uh, aspects of their lives, the the successes, the trials, and community. you know, seeing a group of people come together to support one another, even if that's something that people don't have in their lives, it's something that they aspire to have. It's something that they desire. To have, And so I feel like the family aspect of the show, the relatability of the characters on the show is something that really resonates with people um, and not just black people. You know, we've we've had people of all races uh, talk to us about how much they love the show. So mm-hmm. that's that's something that's humbling <laughs> and exciting. We well,
3: you know Kelly Jen That's what I'm speaking to. She's one of the stars of the CW hit series All-American Homecoming. I know I'm older than you, Kelly. And that's a good thing because I feel that hey, everybody lives their life and their paths. But we grew up on a different world. Mm-hmm. And different world was a sitcom. And so, but it inspired a lot of traffic to HBCUs. Some people say that watching that series changed their lives. And so, but that was a that was a sitcom. This is a drama. So it lends itself for a lot more serious and I think socially conscious. Storylines. Uh, one of the one of the storylines is mental health, and I think that's important because in the African American community, we're always to last to um, we, we try to live a perfect life where we don't want to admit that we have uh, gay in the community, gay people in the community. One of the things we have mental health issues in the community. We don't admit we have high blood pressure. All the things that that they may deem as negative. It's about learning the truth and then being able to live with it. Those diverse storylines, I think, really engage makes the series popular. That's just my side of the conversation, but you live in it. You live in the scripts. You live in with these actors who have to make these storylines come to life. And then you are like the president, which funnels all this drama back to you and, and, and it's mass decision-making. So let's talk about that. And I also want to talk to other other characters, but I wanted to get that holistic statement out about your show, which is really positive, but it also is a statement about the black community because we don't talk about these things.
4: Yeah. I think, I think the show does a really good job of highlighting, like you said, things that we don't discuss in in the, uh, African-American community, mental health being one of them, you know, I, I think it is important for us to have those conversations to rid ourselves of the shame and the guilt that comes with not having it all together, um, and making sure we are careful with the people we trust to help us walk through those situations as well. You know, it's, it's a beautiful thing to be a part of a show that isn't afraid to kind of go in and dig deep into those things that may be taboo in our community.
3: Right, and, and when you say taboo, it should be, you know, it should, because these should be conversations, and and, mm-hmm. and the word therapy. And I really like the way that storyline is working itself out for the for the head coach. But also, when I look at the series, the fact that the two sports that we're talking about at HBCU that don't get talked about ever, because we always talking about the marching band, we're always talking about the football teams, we're always talking about the basketball team, is tennis and baseball. <laughs> <laughs> and I find that really, really cool. Because I, I, I'm, I'm going to be personal about it. My daughter... You know, before she shattered her knee, she played tennis and was on the, mm. on the pro circuit and shattered her knee at 19 and eventually went to college. So I'm, I'm very fond of that storyline. And then seeing baseball being a very interesting and engaging storyline is really a, 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 a testament to not say they denounce football, because we do talk about football in it. But mm-hmm. those are the two primary storylines. When you see these things, because you kind of laugh when I brought it up in a good laugh, that they go, this is different and it's a good thing for the series.
4: Oh, absolutely. So growing up, I have four brothers. They all played baseball. My mom tried to get me and my sister into tennis. So we always joke about how we could have been uh, Venus and Serena. But my my mom still plays tennis to this day. And so those sports were very prevalent. In my life and still are, you know, with my mom still playing tennis and my brother uh, is a huge baseball fan. And so I think it is yet something else that is very unique to our show that we are highlighting sports that people wouldn't necessarily think like HBCU tennis, right. HBCU baseball, you know, and it, and it just opens up our eyes to the diversity that we can find at these HBCUs.
3: Well, I, I, I was happy to see that because it broke stereotypes for me as far as storylines, story you know. Mm-hmm. This is not about the marching band. This is not about the the football team and the halftime. That side of the story, I think everybody knows. But HBCUs do have uh, golf teams, you know. Mm-hmm. HBCUs have started gymnastic teams. HBCUs have always had baseball teams as well as tennis teams. And so when you look at that storyline development, then you say, well, we shine, you know. You know, I, we we thought we were going to be, you know, we supposed to be Serena and Venus before Serena and Venus. Now, why did you, your mom play tennis? Now, how did you get around a mom who plays tennis and not play tennis?
4: You know, she, uh, there's, there's debate around this story, but she said, you know, she, she had us out there and growing up in Atlanta uh, is hot. And I think we were just <laughs> a little too prissy and didn't want to be out there in the sun. You know, and I was like, listen, you should have, like, toughened up and been like, no, you're going to be out here. You're going to play. Um, so, yeah, I think... Now, Kelly, think nah, I'm
3: going to take it. you up front on this now. Handmaid's Tale, now. That's a pretty yes. rough series now. I'm trying to find out, when you say the word prissy now, And that character you played, that Handmaid's Tale, wasn't nothing prissy about that whole setup over there. So please help your boy here to understand why that was prissy and Handmaid's Tale wasn't prissy.
4: Well, see, I think you have real life. <laughs> and then you have the acting life. And so I can act oh! like a tennis player. I can act like a scorned uh wife. You know, those things are are a little easier to do, maybe. So yeah.
3: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Because because your resume is amazing. You know, resume. Thank and you. I, you know, cause cause I uh, if you get a little history on me, you know, I I started my career as a stand-up comedian, went to college, math, Degree sociology with the IBM left IBM thought I'd be the next Eddie Murphy and scoured this countryside and uh, and I when I look back at my life now I realize how. F- you know whether fortunate or, or driven I was to have the career I have, because having success at twenty and thirty, you still got to get to forty. You still got to get to fifty. you got all those years are still got to come. And do you think like that? That you do you ever take time to look back at a lot of the success stories or opportunities that have been presented to you as an actress to say wow?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I, excuse me, was driving to acting class a couple of weeks ago and passed by a place where I used to have to take my rent check. And that just sent me down the path of, as the old folks used to say, looking back over my life and thinking things over when I moved out to California and the, the amount of no's that I received and the almost and not yet. And, uh, even the yeses, you know, it is, it's humbling. It's exciting. Um, I do my best to just try to focus on what is in front of me right now while not neglecting like, Hey, if I'm so fortunate, to, to continue on in this life, what type of legacy do I want to leave for those who are still here? Um, and so, yeah, I, it it is often that I sit back and I'm like, wow, God, thank you.
3: you know, because then um, I, I think that's important for your fans to hear you say that because everybody wants to be you. You might say, oh man, you know, I'm just out there working, but then in your conversation, you said despite your resume that you have, acting classes, you're still going to acting classes?
4: Oh, absolutely. Okay, let's let's slow
3: this down now. You're in a hit TV (laughs) series now. Emmy-nominated actress. Loved you in Uncorked and a number of other projects. And here in 2022, you still going to acting classes? Please let my fan base understand why that's important.
4: So there there's a proverb that I love. It is it says it is not good to have zeal without knowledge nor to be hasty and miss the way. You can be passionate all day and all night, but if you don't have the knowledge to sustain you in what it is that you are seeking, I don't care if it's acting, if you want to be a teacher, if you want to be a scientist, like whatever it is that you want to do, you must have the knowledge to back it up. And as an actor, I'm always in the position of what else can I learn? Right. How can I be better? Right. How can I sharpen this tool that God has given me? I don't ever want to get to a place where like oh, I've arrived. Mm-mm. Then that's boring and I don't grow. I want to keep growing. We'll be right back with more Money Making Conversations
2: Masterclass with Rushan McDonald. Now let's return to Money-Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald.
3: I'm talking to Kelly Jenrette, one of the stars of the uh, All-American series Homecoming. Mean, it's, 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 it's a spinoff of that series uh, based at a fictional uh, HBCU. Uh, I guess we have to say for my fans or even me to understand is that it's just like watching a Tom Brady. If Tom Brady didn't go to practice, then he couldn't throw touchdowns. He'd lose timing. He'd lose his chemistry. And by going to an acting classes, even though success is in your history and will be in your future, you still have to understand how can you push your character? How can you, you know, like I said, cry or laugh or emote? a certain scene change. So can you walk walk us through the steps of what is an acting class experience for somebody as successful as you? Because I'm sure when you walk in a room, the other actors actors going, ooh, she's here, and they try to pick your brain for information because you, in some ways they say you've made it. So talk about your acting experience going into these rooms with other actors and actresses and how you maintain that humbleness to get something out of the course.
4: Well, for me, I I love uh classes. Like I I will do one-on-one coaching. Right, right. But I love the class aspect. I've I've worked with two very incredible studios, Sue Hamilton Studios and uh Berg Studios, which have uh which are similar in some regards and very different in others. But I think for me, My my approach in being in class and and not even so much that people are like, oh, my God, I mean, not that they say to me, um, but I know that it is it's acknowledged like, yeah, she's an Emmy nominated actress. But she's still here in class. And so even when I'm not going up in class, when I'm not performing, when I'm not doing a scene, when I'm not doing a monologue, other people are. And I love being able to to see what other people do. I love being able to hear the feedback that other actors get, because then I can take that and say, oh, you know what? That's a really great note. I'm going to try that the next time. I do my scene or the next time I'm in a situation like this. And so it is really that iron sharpening iron mentality that I take in. And again, like I've not arrived. I don't think I'll ever get to a place where I'm like, I don't need to be sharpened anymore.
3: I'm going to tell you this, Kelly. You have arrived, but I'm not saying you don't need to be sharpened, okay? okay. I say that because <laughs> of the fact that, you know, I look, I can't act. I would tell you right up front. I, you know, I, I've tried, I go, that is not my skill set. Now, as a standard comedian, I was very successful. When it came to transitioning that skills to what you do or individuals like you do, y'all, that's that's like amateur. Professional, Y'all were professional. I was a superstar amateur. And so you don't get a <laughs> resume like you get unless you have arrived. Because people call you in on these high-level auditions. And sometimes, I'm pretty sure, some people basically, they just wanted to hear you show up so they didn't give you the role. Now, but what I do get out of the fact that you are in these classes is being a director. I do see that. So... Talk to us. Are you working on being a director? When will you direct one of the episodes of All-American Homecoming? Because I see that happening? Because that's your skill set. I see it.
4: Roushawn, now I'm like, who you been talking to?
3: How you you all up in my business? I'm just telling you, Kelly, you know, you can sit (laughs) over here with this humble story. Your boy been in the game since 94, okay? I've seen talent like you. And I also know you are one of those people who push other talents on the set. You know, because that's your gift. So, but that gift will translate behind the camera because you see things differently. You see, when you walk in the scene, you see everybody's role, everybody's character. That's a director's eye. I see that when I'm watching the show, when I'm watching you, I see it. So now that we know that Rushan got all this inside information, because he just watched you, let's go and talk about what's the next step going to happen in Kelly Jenner's career.
4: You know, uh, thank you. So much for saying that I appreciate you. And (laughs) I I actually would like to direct, um, would love to direct an episode of Homecoming. We'll we'll see. We'll see what that looks like over over the next couple of seasons. Like I, again, want to make sure I am sitting in a seat of learning and taking it all in, shadowing the different directors that come on our set and work with us, Um, reading books, you know, Michael Schultz. The great Michael Schultz, yes. um, who directed several ep- episodes of both All-American and All-American Homecoming. Um, he is someone that is like, yeah, there are there are books that you can read. Um, other directors who I'm like, do you mind if I shadow you? Right. And they're like, yeah, absolutely. Come on. And you can shadow me on this other show that I'm working on, too. Mm-hmm. So it it's something that I'm I'm like, tip. Tipping my toe in, but I think I'm just like just jump in. Thank you, but make sure you have the knowledge with the zeal. I'm
3: gonna tell you something, so, Kelly. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you. I'm, I gotta tell you this. You know, this is just just a a, a a a colleague. Okay. You know, I, I'm fortunate. I've exactly exec- do sitcoms. I've written on sitcoms. I've produced sitcoms, done large scale productions, and I was always never the person making the decisions. And then I did. Then, then I was in Vegas doing this huge neighborhood award event with me and Steve Harvey was doing, and um, and I did it. I and I realized when I walked away, I went, "That's it. That's it." And that's why I'm telling you where you are at. You are at the that's it stage. And I say that because you will do your homework, my friend. You're not going to jump out there and not be prepared. You got an amazing husband that's going to help you be prepared. You have people in this industry who are rooting for you. I'm just letting you know that, that you don't get this resume based on luck, right place at the right time. It's a skill set that you're still doing. Iron sharpens iron. I'm just letting you know that when you do direct your first episode, just know that hopefully I pushed you a little bit. Hopefully your husband pushed you a lot more because he sees the <laughs> same thing I see. And the blessing is that when it happens, you're going to go, that's it. Wow. And I'm saying you should have started earlier, but I just want you to cross that line and realize You're not going to stop acting, but boy, it's going to open a door for you that's going to scare you because you're going to see how much you're going to change the industry on that side of the lens, giving directions for young actors, whether they white or black or Latino, because you're going to be a, you're going to be one of those actresses that can act with a special effects. You'll be able to do it all because your career has shown you. To participate in all those lanes, and I'm not turning this into a, a motivational speech for Kelly. I'm just <laughs> sure. letting you know you're talented, young lady. And I'm fortunate to be a person who shared the experience. And the only reason I call you a young lady because you're younger than me, and I have to show you respect by saying, as an older person in this business, who've seen talent like you, and and they've crossed over, girl, jump, run. Uh uh ski slide, do your thing. Right now you just start of all American homecoming. You're gonna be directing some episodes before it's all done, okay? I,
4: I'm I feel, I'm like, well, how we pass the offering plate Because you just you just gave a whole word right there. Um and I'm like, and do you know my husband? Have you been talking to him? Like, what is happening?
3: Well, you know, the <laughs> thing about it is that, you know, I'm married, and you know, and I my wife's talented, and and sometimes I have to remind her of her gifts and not her, how important she is in my life. I had to do that yeah. yesterday. You know what I'm saying? And, because, uh, you know, we go through these processes and then, and 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 if you don't, who who is to remind you? If the person that doesn't love that loves you the most, that's the person that should be reminded. Yeah. Me. But uh, and, and you know the, my whole thing in bringing you on was not to get into this part of the conversation. It's a part. Of, it's just this is a conversation, a testimonial conversation about your career and the brilliance of it, and being this matriarch on this TV series that's a hit show on CW called All American Homecoming, and you the stewardship of that show. You know, you may not be delivering our lines uh, all the time, but your your imagery, your 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 your, 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 your uh, being able to when they come for those uh those brunch. Those brunch dinners, how that becomes like the old old black households where everybody would meet on Sunday dinner at the family. So there's a lot of symbolism. So when you as we wrap up this interview, and you know, not about what I talked about in your directing, what do you enjoy the most about being on this series, All American Homecoming? There's a hit on CW. There are
4: so many things to enjoy. What immediately comes to mind are the actors that I get to work with. There is not one day that I don't go on set and have a full hearty laugh. We laugh all the time. And I I love to laugh. I love to enjoy myself. And we, we have the deep conversations. We have the tough conversations. But the family dynamic um, on set is just amazing. It is something that I look forward to every time I get to go to set.
3: Well, I look forward to it when I turn on TV and see y'all. I'm going to say y'all, okay? Because it's an experience. <laughs> Please say y'all. Can you say y'all? I'm in Houston, Texas, so y'all flows really good out of my mouth. I'm just in Atlanta, yes. just an extension of the South. <laughs> but more importantly, your career is a blessing. Watching a show with African-American talent that is relatable is a blessing. But more importantly, the storylines are well-written. But the, but the leadership, being able to go into the storylines about the community that, that we don't talk about, normalizing it in storylines that carry credibility— is a, is a, is a blessing, and I think years from now, what Hillman did. For us in different world, you guys are going to do for the next generation of 10 years, 20 years. And I say they were inspired by this TV show that was on a fictitious HBCU school in Atlanta. And you were one of the stars of that show. So, Kelly, that will be part of your legacy. And people probably name their kids after you. Kelly, that's, you know, she, you know, that's my favorite character on Homecoming. <laughs> but thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation Masterclass. You are, you are a blessing to interview. Thank you.
4: Thank you so much. Thank you for the life that you spoke into my life. I receive it. I hear you. And I will move accordingly. There you go. There you go. Woo. Now we go.
3: Come on, come on, come on. Again. Come yes. on, come on. Come on.
4: <laughs> again, thank
3: you. Now you be, keep that laugh. That's what I'm talking about. That laugh right there. Keep those spirits high. And, I, and I, we'll talk soon. Okay. Cause I keep my, okay. I'm gonna keep a little monitor on you. I'm gonna keep my little monitor on you. And if I see yes. you directing anything, you know, your first phone call going to be your boy. Not to say that I told you so, just to say, (laughs) what prompted the jump, though? What
4: prompted the jump, though?
3: (laughs) Be safe now. We talk soon. Love you. Bye-bye.
2: Love you, too. We'll be right back with more Money-Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashaun McDonald.
0: You are now tuned into the Money-Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald.
3: Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald from Money-Making Conversation Masterclass with your daily Minute of Inspiration. This week, I sat down with actress starring in Hulu's Reasonable Doubt, Imayate Coronaldi. She explains the confidence that comes along with preparing properly for opportunities.
4: The best way that I've learned to prepare is just by being prepared, doing my best work, um, doing all the work that I can leading up to, you know, the first day of filming because that gives you a sense of, of freedom, you know, right. being able to relax and being confident and knowing that I've done my, my part up to this point. And then once you get on set, you know, it's time to play. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, at my best, my co-stars at their best. And then it's just, that's where all the fun happens, you know? And so I think it's the preparation is what allows you to have the confidence to just be.
3: Listen to this full interview with Emma Yatze Caronaldi. It's available on moneymakingconversations.com.
2: Now let's return to Money-Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashaun McDonald.
3: My guest is Dr. Shante Williams. She is the CEO of Black Pearl Global Investments. is a Black-owned asset management firm that's focused on reducing health disparities across the globe. Black Pearl's tagline, Be Well, Do Well, captures the firm's mission to invest in transformative companies around the world. Dr. Shante earned a bachelor's degree from Winston-Salem State University, HBCU, and a master's of business administration from Queens University of Charlotte. She holds a doctorate in integrated medicine and biomedical medicine from The Ohio State University. Please welcome to Money-Making Conversations Masterclass, Dr. Shante Williams. How are you doing?
5: I am great.
3: Thank you for having me today. Well, i, 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 I would got to say this to everybody. You know, some people will probably only listen to this podcast, but uh, people who are viewing this podcast, podcast, her background is amazing. She has an amazing <laughs> background, and it's not some fake background. It's the reality. So so when I look at your background, is that, is that a background that's tied to success, that view?
1: AI might be the most important new computer technology ever.
5: You know, actually, the the two buildings right behind me are banks. Um, and so I like to say my house is mostly windows. So I say I wake up and I go to sleep with money on my mind.
3: Well, you know, I, I tell people, you know, when you say that, because that's how I, I'm not saying I'm tired. I, I see banks when I go to sleep, which I, uh, which is a good thing now because you know you always. Bank is what runs our life. Money is what runs our life. If you can see something that motivates you to say, "I want to put more money in that bank or more money in that bank," that means you're focused. And that means that that's a drive that we all need to have. But I do go to sleep. With goals in mind. I do. I always tell people that allows me to wake up because a lot of people always say I'm not a morning person. Well, I've always been a morning person because I've always went to sleep with goals and that when my clock went off, I knew why I was getting up. Can you talk about the whole process of how you tie sleep into making you successful when you wake up?
5: Oh, well, first I will say I'm a person since I'm not a morning person, Mm -hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't wake up early in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually live by the um, mantra that I need a full night of sleep to be the best person I can be. Mm -hmm. So uh, most people are surprised that I sleep eight hours a night at least.
1: Um, Every night,
5: um, (laughs) even when traveling, um, and I don't compromise on my sleep because a tired mind um, leads to tired results. So for me, if I'm sleeping, um, I have a whole wind down process at night. Um, I try to stop all meetings, you know, at least two hours before bed. I turn off all of the electronic devices. I try to read something that's inspirational, um, really, to help my mind calm down. But then, you know, take that moment to reflect um, on what what's been done, what. Um, where I'm going, and right. then really just have a, a quiet wind down. So I, I actually love sleeping. If if that was a real hobby, it would be one of my hobbies. Um, and I, my goal is to be able to sleep in whenever I want. I can't do that just yet, but I, I, I'm working on it.
3: So does does that entail travel, or because it seems like when you do that? Because I'm gonna tell you something, Shante or Doctor Williams. Uh, I had a problem with that. I had a problem with understanding how to shut down, you know, and I would tell people sometimes I I just got on that wheel and just kept running and kept running. And it seems to me that, that you understand the value of self and which means ties to, you know, look, I don't function well if I'm not a hundred percent. Talk to us about that.
5: Yeah, well, with travel, I've found that uh, I used to be one of those people that if I'm flying into a city, I'm going to meet with everybody I possibly can. And at every hour on the hour, I'm just meeting, 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 meeting. Um, I stopped doing that uh, really for two reasons. It's exhausting. And it it means that your, your body, your brain is continuing to go. Um, when I think about who I aspire to be, um, the person, the leader I aspire to be for the entire firm. I know that um, in my brain at night, I really think um, I'm thinking about there are 51 families. um, That's how many employees we have. 51 families that depend on me to keep the vision solid in order to help them get paid, to help them get raises, to, you know, push us all forward. And, Ultimately, um, my brain really needs to, to shut off at some point. Um, I, I started doing this particular um, pre- uh, this particular mantra. Um, I don't know if you've ever had this situation where you're sleeping and all of a sudden your brain just turns on. Or you're trying to go to sleep and your brain won't shut down. Ooh,
3: hate that. Hate
5: I, that. Hate that. <laughs> you know what I say to myself now? Not right now.
3: hmm And it shuts and, you down.
5: Yeah. And it, it takes, a, it takes some practice of just saying not right now. Okay. I mean, and, and I used to have to say it out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to focus on this right now. Um, mm-hmm. and focused on sleep or focused on reading. Like literally I've now had to train my brain. to this not right now. We're not gonna worry about that thing. Cause we're doing this thing and staying mm-hmm. present in the moment, um, actually helps. I think with that wind down process because you can't talk with what's already happened, right? It's in the past and you can't anticipate the future where you are today right now is trying to wind down to go to sleep. So I will tell myself not right now a lot.
3: Well, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to try that because, and not saying it happens a lot, but I tell you sometimes, I'd say every quarter of the year, every quarter period, I, I wake up, And then an idea coming to my head about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, knowing, because I get up early. I get up at 4.30 in the morning during the week. So so I'm already mad because I go, look, the clock, the potential sleep window is shrinking, and I can't go to sleep. So not right now. I'm going to use that. And hopefully I don't have to use it anytime soon. But it's usually tied to, you know, I, I I go to bed knowing that I have to do something when I get up. And if somehow I wake up and then it just takes over my thought process and it just becomes like, are you kidding me? Are you really kidding me? I can't go back to sleep. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing about you, Dr. Williams, was that, you know, when I, I read in your credits in Winston-Salem and then uh, where you got your master's from and then also where you got your doctorate from. And there were three different <laughs> academic arenas. But more importantly, the two that stood out the most was the beginning and the end, which is Winston-Salem State and uh, the Ohio State University. Talk about your journey at Winston-Salem State, because each experience was different from you. And why did you go to an HBCU?
5: Well, let, let me, so I actually got, I went from undergrad straight to um, a doctorate. So when, uh, Ohio State was in the middle, and then I went to Queens later. Oh, I apologize. Later. They
3: really um, Apologize. Like,
5: no, but, but the, the way they rolled out. So in HBCU, um, that experience, um, I think, prepared me for everything. Right. Uh-huh. Um, there is a sense of self, a sense of worth, a sense of value uh-huh. that, you get from community. Um, One of the things I tell young people is, yes, the college experience is about, you know, you get a diploma, but it's the people that connect you. It's the people who surround you, the the arms that are wrapped around you um, figuratively. And going to an HBCU, every single one of my colleagues that went to an HBCU didn't get lost in corporate. They didn't get lost if they went to a PWI later. They knew who they were. And I think that is a very unique experience that you only get at a, at a black school, um, really because those professors are there really with a mission and a mandate to really arm us to take on whatever. Um, I know when at least when I was coming up, there's a lot of stereotypes about HBCUs. Um, you know, you couldn't get in somewhere else, da-da-da-da. Um, I actually chose not to go to Florida State to go to HBCU. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it was very intentional to make sure that who I was, was solid and grounded. My family is a close-knit family. I grew up in church, and I really wanted to make sure that my preparation for my career was going to continue to center around me being um, a solid human that's really focused on giving back, making impact, and taking these educational tools forward.
3: Wow. And so now let's just go through the academic wonder correctly. So you went from Winston-Salem State to The Ohio State University. Well, you yes. got your doctorate yes. in medicine, and then you got a master's in business administration. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So usually people just cool with the master's in business administration. Okay. But you got it. But you're a doctor that go get a master's. Talk to us about yes. that journey right there, because I wrote, I always write all my credits down. So me, Rishon, thinking, okay, this is the order. She did this. She did this. She did this. She's no, excuse me. Excuse me. I went from here to my doctorate. Then I went and got my master's. Why that order?
5: Oh, so the order, um, really interesting. I thought I was going to be a clinician. Um, I was in uh, neuro-oncology, neurosurgery, um, halfway between clinic and surgery and making (laughs) drugs. And I I thought that's what I was going to be doing. And along the way, I started realizing I love this medical stuff but I also want to do something else. You know, you start to see the life that you're going to be very soon. And I wanted some aspects of it, but not all of it. And so I was very fortunate. Um, this is where mentors um, and advisors really come into play. They said, are you sure you want to change? And I said, well, I think I do. So they of course had me stay on the course and keep the clinical stuff. But then they started introducing me to all of this other financial stuff. And what I realized is I took to the finance stuff like fish. Um, I had never taken a business class before um, going into um, my first corporate job. And I was really good at it. Um, so for me, the doctorate helped me to see, yes, you have these talents and passions, but you don't know what you don't know. You right. don't know. Um, you're not exposed to this other. I didn't even know the field existed, honestly. And once I got exposed, it was like, oh, I can do this. And I started working with somebody else and I went, I can do this myself. <laughs> um, so the, the MBA came along really because I was looking to make sure that I had not only that healthcare underpinnings, because my job was really to help people understand the medical stuff, but I, I started financially modeling at a really high level and people wouldn't assume it came from me. And I was like, you know what, fine, I'll get an MBA. Later, I learned that the PhD MBA um, Coupling is the most profitable
3: degree coupling um, that you can have. So I guess I made the right choice. Absolutely. And congratulations. So that that journey of meaning that you overcome, you you know, change is a lot. And I see a lot in your life, you know, that change is positive. But change also comes with fear because fear is tied to unknown. How did you, like you said, you mentioned mentors. The mentors were the people you went to when you were indecisive, or unsure, and kept you focused on your bottom line, which is your dream.
5: Yes, my mentors were were people who said, you know, if you're going to choose a career path, you got to do this thing. So you might as well love it. And so every time I was really unsure where I sat, they encouraged me to explore, be open to other things, be open to other subjects, be open to other fields. And those mentors really, you know, came in um, came in the clutch when I, you know, I think my parents were looking at me like, okay. You have been on this path to be in the clinic and be a clinician for so long. And now you're going to take a hard left um, out <laughs> of it. And I think when you talk about fear, you know, I don't want to let my parents or my family down. Um, but, you know, saying I'm going to go into business, they were like, oh, OK. Um, and then saying I'm going to leave corporate to start my own business. They really started to say, oh, um, are you sure? Because you did all this other stuff. And I said, but I'm, like, I'm going all of that experience with me. So all of the mentors um, that surrounded me um, and to continue to uh, surround me um, really say, um, keep following what you want to do, not the expectations of what other people want you to do. Um, I always hear my grandmother's um, voice in my head when she she used to always say when I was little, it's your thing, do what you want to do. Right. Um, And that's really what my mentors are saying. You know, if you're good at saying this isn't right, you know, Try something else. And I try to now um, enter into every situation with a hard yes. It's a hard yes for me. If I'm really into it, I'm going to try it. If mm-hmm. I'm really interested, I'm going to try it. Mm-hmm. If it's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if that's worth my time. Because being uncertain or, or squishy, that, that's your body. I think that's your good. That's your instincts telling you this ain't, ain't right for me. So right. for me, it's really having those people that encourage me to not be so tied to a title or a position. But
3: really say, where is the path leading What's the next step, step? Wow. I'm talking to Dr. Shante Williams. She's the CEO of Black Pearl Global Investments. It's a Black-owned asset management firm that's focused on reducing health disparities across the globe. Let's talk about the company, Black Pearl Global yeah. Investments. How did it start? How did you get involved with the concept? Because it all starts with a dream. But how did that mm-hmm. dream manifest itself into reality?
5: Oh, so that's a really good story. I'll tell you.
3: Um,
5: and take your I time.
3: You can take your time. This is your yeah. show now. Okay.
5: But my first firm was a due diligence firm. Um, it was doing very well. I was proud of myself for starting from zero and, you know, paying myself. That was my full-time gig. And I was so proud of it. And I started to do community advocacy work. And I happened to be talking about the impact capital can have and investments can have in a community. And I'm talking to a group of Presbyterian pastors and one of the pastors comes up to me who was a Winston-Salem state alum says, you know, Hey, fellow alum, um, I have someone at my church that you really should meet. Right. And he says, will you come to my church? And I'm like, Oh, this guy's trying to get me to come to church. I'm a, I'm a a PK already. So I'm like, okay, I'll come to the church. (laughs) I went to the church and I sat through a really beautiful Women's Day service, and it happened to be um, the first female surgeon for um, Charlotte. She was just amazing, and she was talking about taking off the veil. Um, and after the service, I I went up to Pat and said, "Oh, you came." I think he was surprised too, um, and so he introduced me to Dr. Carl Smart. Um, and Dr. Smart and I probably talked for five minutes, no more, and. He was interested in investing and he was like, oh, okay. So we exchanged numbers and then we did not connect again for another year. Right. Um, We played phone tag, yada, yada. And finally he says, oh, hey, finally got you. We meet day after Thanksgiving. And he says, I see what you're doing. I've been following for a while. I think he was secretly vetting me to make sure I was, you know, the real deal. And he said, but I don't think what you're doing now is big enough. And... You know, when you get that
3: kind of feedback from somebody, you can... Hold well, on right there, Dr. Shelter. Yeah. Okay, when somebody yeah. said... Because you, you just said earlier, you know, I was doing my thing, my startup, I was feeling yeah. good, making a little I'm money. And then somebody <laughs> tells you, I don't think what you're doing is big enough. How did you react to that? You
5: know, I, in my head, I think I had a decision tree. I can be highly offended. <laughs> <and> like, <laughs> you got to know what you're
4: talking about. <laughs> Or
5: I can listen, right? I can I can hear what he has to say, Uh Um, and he didn't say you know rude or derogatorily, but he was like, "Yeah, this ain't it." And I'm like, "This ain't it." I'm paying myself, you know. I'm 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 entrepreneurial, Uh and I listen, and I really lean in, and he says, "I think you could be doing far greater. You Uh can have impact using the knowledge you have." Um, I do have an interest in this, but, you know, would you be interested in maybe just talking about how, because he's a, a critical care pulmonologist, he's been a surgeon for um, about 30 years, and he said, I think with our healthcare expertise, he's done investing separately, I've done investing separately, if we join together, we can start impacting uh, Black people's healthcare from a different perspective. We have the experience. We have the cash. We can invest in things that will move the needle. And we can do it not just here. We can do it for folks in the diaspora. We can do it for folks in the Caribbean. We can do it for folks in Africa. I wasn't thinking global. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I was proud to be doing the work I was doing for the companies in my, you know, my little sphere, I would say between Charlotte and Atlanta. Right. And that got my mind kind of going, hmm, okay, so... We started talking about what we would invest in, um, what kind of impact we wanted to see, what kind of outcomes we wanted to see. And that day, Black Pearl was born. Um, We said, okay, let's see what we can do. I actually sold my first firm. You know, I I let it go knowing that this next thing's going to be an adventure. The next thing's going to be a a journey that maybe will reach more people. I now had a partner because I was a solopreneur before. Now I have a partner. And we started saying, what do we need? What do we need? What do we need? The name Black Pearl, it has two meanings. Mm -hmm. Um, Black Pearl is one of the most rare and most expensive jewels you can buy, naturally. Um, And we started saying, you know, our health is a jewel. Black people are a jewel. We need to be protecting that. We need to be investing in that. We need to wrap our arms around that. So Black Pearl is like, oh yeah, that's going to be us. But then we learned Carl was watching um, a movie, Pirates of the Caribbean, and the Black Pearl was (laughs) the the pirate ship um, that could not be caught. And so there's a double meaning there. Um, we are both valuable and rare. And, you know, there's some mistake that, you know, as long as we are staying on our path, no one's going to catch us right. because we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And so that's how we found two other partners that could fill some gaps. And uh, I don't have a, a hard technology background, so we found a partner for that. We got one more partner that really had a deep dive in entrepreneurship and uh, business as well. The four of us together, I feel like we, I'm about to say I'm Captain Planet, Like our powers combined and Black Pearl came forward and it came forward really to write checks into companies as a start. Fast forward five years later, we have written checks, venture capital. We have made loans. We have um, acquired companies. We have uh, launched an office in Kingston, Jamaica, and we have an office in Accra, Ghana. Uh, We have a health advisory um, arm that helps develop people in workforce development. And it all started from me not being offended from the feedback, but really (laughs) saying, let me listen to the feedback.
2: We'll be right back with more Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashaun McDonald. Now let's return to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashaun McDonald.
3: I always tell people, I wake up dumb. I just make that statement. That way I'm willing to accept information that's given to you. But if you wake up thinking you know it all, you know, you can miss something. That moment was right there. If you had a know-it-all personality right dominating your spirit or your soul, then you would have missed mm-hmm. Black Pearl ever being a possibility. Mm-hmm. But when you say yeah. the word Black Pearl and investments, that's what my audience wants to hear, investment. What When you say invest in this, invest in it, and this in healthcare? what are you talking about?
5: Uh So uh, for me, money is a tool, Um, Mm -hmm. just like a hammer. It can either build or it can destroy. I can hit you in the head with a hammer and it'll it'll beat you down, right? Mm -hmm. Money is a tool. So when we talk about investing, we're looking for companies on the venture capital side of things that have high growth potential. Um, But they're coming up with discoveries that are new and novel that are helping to reduce healthcare costs, that are improving the outcomes, that are increasing access for populations that didn't have um, that access. I'll give you an example. Um, Earlier this year, we invested in a maternal healthcare uh, company called Mommy. Mommy is a company that uh, built technology to help. Black mothers get all of the resources they need to have successful deliveries and then postpartum um, be able to cope with, you know, new baby, um, maybe some of the mental health aspects, and really give them a community, getting these practitioners to listen to them, giving them alternatives, whether they want to be in a hospital or have natural birth. But we know from a healthcare perspective, Black mothers are going to are are uh, more likely to suffer adverse effects, mm-hmm. even if you have insurance, even if you have uh, money, even if you you know Serena Williams had severe complications. Yes. Beyonce, I mean, these are women with resources, and I'm sure the best of the best healthcare, mm-hmm. and they still had these other complications. So. That's the kind of company we put our money into on the venture capital side. We write checks into companies that are making an impact that can change the trajectory of, you know, women dying, babies dying. Um, we invest in companies that um, make food cleaner. We invest, in, um, we invest in companies that can make the environment more healthy. Because when we think about healthcare, care, we're thinking, you know, again, if you don't have your health, the rest of it's going to go to pot, right? You can have all the money in the world and your health crashes. Guess where your money's going to go? To fixing your health. Right. So we think about healthcare as really the center of um, our beings, our our universe, if you will. And so we'll help, we'll uh, invest in things for economic mobility. We'll invest in things for climate. We'll invest in things for right-on-the-nose healthcare, um, direct practitioner care. Um, we will invest in things that are transportation-related. I mean, we are really thinking about healthcare broadly because you can't just pull on one lever and think it's going to change everything.
3: Well, you know, the thing about it is uh, uh, I interviewed Tanya Lewis-Lee. She has a brilliant documentary that's really informative on Hulu called Aftershock, which is about uh, you know, infant mortality, especially in the um, African-American a community. And when I hear you talk about that. It just gives me, you know, flashbacks that there are many warriors out there. And I consider you a warrior yeah. who's out there from a financial perspective, trying to change lives within our community and also giving a a, a, a shot of, of delivering a healthy kid. When, when, as I close this interview, and it's been a wonderful interview because your life has so many beautiful pearls in it. I'm going to just, I'm going to just use that. I'm going to use that pearl. When you, when you talk about the academic training and making decisions and not Limiting yourself and saying that enough is enough, and being able to accept what I call constructive criticism or comments because people told you they saw more in you that you could do more. And a lot of people hear that terminology fear, or they could satisfy, I'm satisfied where I'm at. But you saw it like, okay, what are you talking about? And I think more people should lean in instead of pushing back when people approach them about their gifts. I always talk about gifts and purpose. I feel you're living your purpose, because you're taking advantage of your gifts. And as you talk about the next chapter in uh, Black Plural, Global Investments, what is it, Dr. Shanti Weebs uh,
5: our, our next chapter really looks like um, expanding um, into other countries. Um, so we're already on the continent of Africa, but we will look to push into areas where a lot of people are going. Um, East Africa, there are not a lot of folks deploying money. Um, when we think about the Caribbean, really starting to support entrepreneurs there Um, When we think about acquiring companies, we just acquired a a contactless manufacturing facility. I think it's really important if we want to control costs of healthcare and we want to help more entrepreneurs get into the healthcare space, we've got to reduce those barriers. So one way to do that is controlling the supply chain. If I am the direct manufacturer of something, I have a direct relationship with the cost of something, uh, of that product. And so I can start to provide it to community at a price that makes it affordable. Black people are disproportionately more, more likely to have uh, eye care issues. Um, but on the flip side of that, if you are somebody who is, let's say, creating the next beauty product right. um, or someone right. who's um, coming up with a healthcare formulation, guess what you likely will need to package your product? An FDA regulated facility. I now have two. Um, and we have reconfigured our floor plans to help other entrepreneurs come into that space, reducing the cost really to start patching up their products. So, as we roll forward, we will look to see how we can, one, continue to bring products into our portfolio that reduce healthcare costs. But then, how do we leverage those assets to help other companies get ahead, whether that's through expertise, whether that's through space, whether that's through us really just saying, hey, if you need to use our product to test whether or not your thing is going to work, we're open to that. And that's where I think the future for us is really going to be headed. Uh, helping businesses level up, but then also bringing in practitioners. People, um, one of our programs that I'm most proud of is we take folks with um, no healthcare skills, we help them get trained, and then they're coming into the workforce at you know, the forty dollars or $50,000 side of things versus the you know $10 to $15 an hour side of things. And that's I'm really proud of because the more people we get into um, healthcare, the more diverse voices we have there, the less likely it is that people will get overseen or overlooked um, when they say I have pain or they say something just isn't right. And so I'm really proud of the work we're doing today. And I look forward to seeing that expand beyond North Carolina into other states and in other countries. And then leveraging all of these facilities because we can marry those practitioners with the spaces, and I think um, the future is going to be very bright
3: if we continue to do that. Well, I'm telling you, your storytelling is amazing. She is the CEO of Black Pearl Global, and an investment firm that is changing healthcare at the healthcare, the African American community, not only domestically but global. People of color have they have a, I like to say, it, an angel. In the in the uh, yeah. corporate structure that's out there uh, funding ways that we can live a better life, a longer life, a life that feels like we're part of the people care about us. Again, I want to appreciate. I want to say I appreciate you taking the time. All my interviews have their special journeys, but I think from an academic standpoint, you're special. From a lifestyle standpoint, you're special, and for your cause of so what you're doing out here in the community, but yes, we all goal is to make money. But boy, when well, you can help people along the way, isn't that a blessing?
5: Yes. Yes, yes,
3: absolutely. I want to thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations Masterclass, and we talk soon, okay?
5: Absolutely. Thank you for having
3: me. I appreciate you. This has been Rashaun McDonald, host of Money Making Conversations Masterclass.
2: You've been listening to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashaun McDonald. Always remember to lead with your gifts. Money Making Conversations Masterclass is a presentation of 3815 Media Incorporated.
0: You are now tuned into the Money-Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashaun McDonald.
3: Hi, I'm Rashaun McDonald from Money-Making Conversation Masterclass with your daily Minute of Inspiration. This week, I sat down with best-selling author and consultant, Dr. Nicole Roberts-Jones. She talks about the importance of not ignoring your potential.
5: Many of us grow up in culture where we make lists, right? I want 2.5 kids. I want to work in this career. But we don't stop long enough to tap into our soul and really understand who we be at our core. Right. So it's really looking beyond what the world says, what perception says, and the list that we make to really get to know yourself on a deeper level. It's not even that your original list isn't in alignment with what you're great at. It may be that you just have outgrown that place. I like that. And so it's really going to that next level. You know, oftentimes I say God doesn't rumble you up because he's like okay with where you are. He's looking for who you have not yet become.
3: Right. Listen to this full interview with Dr. Nicole Robert-Jones. It's available on moneymakingconversations.com.